What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and today we're diving into the bizarrely terrifying Kelly Hopkinsville encounter and exploring the very weird and honestly creepy world of the Kentucky Goblins. Standing barely four feet tall with arms stretched down to their ankles, the Kentucky Goblins were a sight to behold. Many locals claim that they've witnessed these little terrifying creatures peering in through their bedroom windows and snatching their dogs from the backyard before heading back into their caves. Their mysterious history spans decades and one day spiraled out of control in the 1950s on a small tobacco farm in Christian County, Kentucky, where a point-blank shotgun blast to the face was only enough to stun the little heinous creatures. I'm really looking forward to getting into this one today, but before we do, a couple things I wanted to mention just before we get into the episode. Some changes happening here at Lights Out. First of all, I'm here recording right now all by myself, and uh, it's a little creepy in here, I'm not going to lie. I'm right in front of me. I've got Annabelle from the Conjuring Universe, and I've got a beautiful painting of Valak staring back at me. I'm not going to lie, I was a little creeped out walking in here at first all by myself, and uh, yeah, wish me luck. Hopefully nothing uh, starts moving on its own in here during this recording, but I just wanted to let everybody know that this will actually be my last recording, not on the show, but in this studio for a while. As many of you know, and maybe some of you don't know, I have my first child on the way. My wife is literally a few weeks away from giving birth. And it just makes sense for us to move our recordings to our house. So I'll be recording lights out um, up until the baby comes. So the next couple weeks, but I'll be doing it from a little studio I built in my basement and it's not going to be anywhere near as cool as this one, which I'm really sad about. But again, this is just temporary while I'm on paternity maternity leave. And basically I'll be back in the studio. My guess is probably beginning of September. So it'll only be about two months that I'll be in the basement studio. But I just want to let you know, for those of you that really enjoy watching the show, and obviously the set is super cool here. I love it. It really helps me get into the mood for these episodes. But yeah, this will be the last one in this studio for a while. And hopefully when I come back to the studio, I will have a new producer. I'm in the process of trying to nail that down. And yeah, it'll be a totally new sort of start when I come back. But in the meantime, I'll still be giving you guys lights out episodes just from my basement and I will probably take two weeks off likely the first and second week of August right now is kind of what it's looking like uh, from the show so there'll be two weeks where uh, no episodes will be going up and that's just so I can be with my new baby for a little bit so I just want to let you know about that also merch is still going strong thank you to everybody out there who's already bought merch from the new collection really appreciate it we worked really hard on it and I absolutely love it. So hopefully you do too. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's milehiremerch.com. But this episode of Lights Out is brought to you by HelloFresh and Care Of. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter and the story of the Kentucky Goblins. So we're going to go back to the 1950s. The UFO craze was in full force. Because again, the whole UFO sort of story here in America starts with the Roswell crash that took place in 1947. And after this happened, 
this really got people talking about UFOs, about alien activity. And so this is kind of where our story begins. And Hollywood began dumping tons of money into sci-fi movies about aliens and the world beyond the stars. And it was impossible to avoid the new obsession that was sweeping through the nation. A lot of these stories try to depict how life would be if we ever encountered alien life forms. And some stories had friendly aliens who wanted to learn about the culture and science and, you know, try to fit in with everybody. But other stories were much more menacing. And many movies relied on our fear of the unknown and the differences that separated us versus them, right? With this fear, it was only a matter of time before the alien creatures manifested into our real lives and fiction became a reality. By 1955, of all the places aliens could go, they decided to travel to a small town in Kentucky on one of the hottest days of the year. As the locals say, it was as hot as the hinges of Hades. Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Gotta love Kentucky, man. Love some Kentucky bourbon. It's a small rural town on the southwest edge of the state. It's known for, get this, tornadoes and tobacco. And this city would become known for something else entirely, though. The simple, quiet area of Christian County would become known for one of the most significant and well-documented cases in UFO history. And the whole story plays out like an old Hollywood movie. On August 21st, 1955, just after sunset, Billy Ray Taylor and his family were staying with their friends, the Sutton family. They had just come in from Pennsylvania and were only planning on staying for a few days. The Sutton's farmhouse was about eight miles outside of Hopkinsville in an area called Kelly. It sat in a quiet country field isolated from nearby neighbors, and they owned about three acres of land where they grew tobacco, like most people did in the area. The only noise nearby was from the old railroad tracks that occasionally brought a train through the land. Beyond that was a single road that led into town. It was kind of the place where if someone screamed, no one would be able to hear it. The summer evening was incredibly hot, and Billy Ray decided to fetch water from the nearby well on the property. As he crossed the field of weeds, he noticed a strange light in the sky, like nothing he had ever seen before. It wasn't a comet or a plane, it looked like something was on fire and the flame was all the colors of the rainbow. Reports say that everyone at the farmhouse was sober at the time, so there was no liquor on the property, and no drugs were ever found. So, as one might think, Billy Ray wasn't tripping on mushrooms or drunk off his ass as far as we know. He just looked up at the night sky and it looked like something out of a dream. He watched this flame for several minutes as it moved around the sky. It looked like a flying saucer under the lights and traveled in different directions almost like it was looking for something. The object made a high-pitched hissing noise as it wandered around the sky, and just an hour or so before, a local officer was leaving the Shady Oaks restaurant about three miles south, and he reported seeing three massive objects soaring through the sky, and they were headed towards Kelly. What Billy Ray saw might have been the same thing that the officer reported an hour earlier. Eventually, the object headed towards a far-off tree line where it disappeared and Billy Ray believed that it landed in a nearby gully about 300 feet from the farmhouse, but it was shielded by trees. So Billy Ray ran back to the farmhouse, sloshing the bucket of water everywhere, and the first people he spotted inside were his wife, June, and the Suttons. They were casually talking in the kitchen while the kids were playing in the house. He interrupted their conversation and told them what he had just seen, a flying saucer that had an exhaust that glowed with the colors of the rainbow. Of course, most of them just started laughing. They're like, oh man, you funny, but there's no way. But his wife listened intently to his story. 
She knew that Billy Ray had an active imagination sometimes. So he told her the bizarre story and she listened, but only to be polite. They all knew that Billy Ray had a tendency to stretch the truth. And after his story, they all went back to talking. He was frustrated that nobody believed him. And right then, the Sutton's family dog started barking frantically. They had trained their dog, in fact, to be a guard dog. So he usually only barked if a stranger was approaching the property. They wouldn't believe Billy Ray, but they knew the dog wouldn't lie about a stranger nearby. So everyone went up to the windows to look, but everything in the immediate area looked normal. A group of maple trees sat on the sides of the houses, and fields of grass and weeds surrounded the other sides. The small tobacco farm was off in the distance, undisturbed. The Suttons decided to unleash the dog and let him go investigate, but instead, their dog whimpered and tucked his tail between his legs. He then crawled under the foundation of the farmhouse where he wouldn't come out. Everyone crowded near the windows and looked out at the property, but the last bit of sunlight began to disappear. The clumps of trees became pitch black and only the moonlight gave a little bit of light to the nearby fields. All the while the dog's whimpers continued from underneath the house. Eleven people stood inside, not sure what to do. But soon, luckily, the Sutton's oldest son went outside to take a look. Some thought he was brave, but others thought he was stupid. Billy Ray decided to join him, and they both remembered grabbing their shotguns before leaving the house. Probably a good idea. As they walked outside, the Sutton's oldest son, Lucky, noticed a green glowing object out in the woods. The glow was faint but bright enough to notice in the dark woods, and it looked like it was headed straight for them. He called out and pointed towards the light while the others saw it too. As he went to get a closer look, he noticed it looked like a small humanoid creature walking toward him. It was a short creature, about three or four feet tall, with pointy ears and pale green skin that seemed to glow. Its arms were incredibly long, and it had claws that hung down towards its ankles. Its most noticeable feature was its massive round eyes that sat on the sides of its huge head, and the eyes never blinked. They were completely black and sometimes described as oily. The creature kept its distance and stopped walking. It got the sense that it was being watched, but it hadn't seen Billy Ray or Lucky yet as far as they knew. All of a sudden, the creature flung its arms up into the air and rushed towards the house at full speed. Its glowing skin dodged through the trees and its short legs quickly ran towards the farmhouse. Both Lucky and Billy Ray aimed their shotguns toward the creature and began firing off several rounds. The shotgun blasts echoed through the woods one after another. And somewhere in the frenzy of bullets, they hit the creature. But it was only knocked down to the ground. It seemed like the bullets couldn't penetrate the creature's skin, but it was enough to scare it off. Once it recovered from the shot, it scrambled to its feet and retreated back into the shadows. And the two men also fled the scene and ran back into the house. Once they made their way back inside, the others asked them what the hell was going on. Because of course they heard the blast and they wondered what they were shooting at. But the men had lost their breath and could barely talk. They could still hear the dog whimpering under the house and it refused to come out. Once the two men finally caught their breaths, they didn't have time to explain. Looking across the house just outside one of the windows, another goblin-like creature stared at them with large black eyes. Again, without hesitating, they aimed their shotguns toward the window and opened fire. Shotgun blasts rang out in the house and deafened everyone nearby. The glass window shattered across the room, and the goblin creature fell to the ground outside. But again, it was only stunned. Within seconds, it got back up and ran for cover away from the property. 
They could tell that the one by the window wasn't the one they had seen out in the woods. So at that point, they knew they were dealing with more than one of these terrifying little creatures. There was a brief moment of silence in the house, and Billy Ray and Lucky decided to regroup and make a plan. So they went back to the front door to check it out. And just as Billy Ray stepped outside, a pale green claw reached down from above and grabbed a chunk of his hair. Lying on the farmhouse roof, the creature had reached down and grabbed Billy Ray by his hair. Billy screamed at the top of his lungs. Lucky raised his shotgun and blasted the creature from only a few feet away. And when the shotgun pellets hit the creature, a metallic-sounding ping echoed through the air. It was as if the goblin's skin was made of solid material that couldn't be damaged by shotgun pellets. The blast sent the creature tumbling off the roof and it slammed on the ground below. But like the others, it scrambled up and vanished around the side of the house. And this crazy shootout went on for several more hours. At that point, they thought they were fully under attack from all these goblins. So they got out the rest of their shotgun and pistol ammo in order to defend the house. They later found another goblin on the roof and another in a nearby tree. The men kept watch for a few more hours and whenever they saw a creature, they fired off a few rounds until the creature fled back into the woods. But as the night went on, they started running low on ammo and the creatures just kept on showing up. The two men eventually turned and looked out towards the tree line where they saw about a dozen glowing creatures wandering around the woods. It looked like they finally got smart and decided to work together, but this was a huge problem. Lucky and Billy Ray knew they were outnumbered by however many creatures had landed on their property and they didn't have enough ammo to hold them off. So they had to make a quick decision or risk dying by the claws of these humanoid aliens. It was only a matter of time until the creatures reached the house. So Lucky and Billy Ray ran back through the front door. After meeting together briefly in the house, they all decided to risk running toward the vehicles parked across the yard. As they sprinted toward the cars, they could see the glowing creatures making their way closer and closer to the house. Once everyone was inside their vehicle, they started the engines and gunned it toward the main road, and they headed into town at full speed. The plan was to notify the police at the police station, and hopefully they could do something about it. So early in the morning hours, Russell Greenwell was the police chief at the station when the families arrived. His wife Rachel was there with him as well. And they watched as the families ran into the station looking sweaty, frantic, and confused. And all at once, each family member began screaming about what had happened at the farmhouse. But Russell interrupted and told them to calm down and just speak one at a time. After they gathered their stories, Lucky and Billy Ray told police that they had fired off dozens of shotgun rounds and about two boxes worth of pistol ammunition. Two other police officers in the station admitted that they had passed by the property earlier in their patrol car but they thought that the noise was just firecrackers going off. Another local state trooper decided to check out the property himself. He was skeptical about alien creatures, and he took the family's story with a grain of salt. When he arrived at the scene, military police were already storming the property. It was still before sunrise, so the property was still pitch black, and dozens of flashlights scanned the farmhouse and the nearby trees. One of the military officers even carried a submachine gun and marched around the property grounds. Russell noticed that one of the farmhouse windows had been shot out, but not much evidence was left behind by whatever happened the night before. It wasn't until a loud screeching noise came from the nearby tree line and spooked everyone on the property. No one could tell what the screeching noise was, but several officers started running back toward the house. The military officer with the submachine gun said fuck it and decided to just open fire at the trees. Everyone hit the dirt as the trigger-happy officer and loaded his weapon into the woods. 
round after round. Bark splintered off the tree trunks and dirt shot up from the ground as the bullets tore through the tree line, and when the firing finally stopped, the screeching from the woods had also stopped, but they never found whatever creature was out there. Some thought it was just an officer that had accidentally stepped on a cat's tail while searching in the dark. As for the family back at the station, they told their story to the local news, and by the next day their story would be all over the newspapers. The creatures were coined as the Kelly Green Men, and ever since they got their local fame, locals around the area have spotted the goblin creatures out in the woods and roaming around their properties. Little pale green men with long arms and pointy ears are spotted all across Kentucky, in fact. But ever since that night, it's opened up a big debate on whether they're real or not. The least convincing part of the case is its lack of evidence. After thorough sweeps through the house and the surrounding fields, investigators found absolutely nothing. Besides the blown out window, everything looked perfectly normal. No tracks were found in the dirt, and there was no evidence that anything had landed in the gully by the trees. But still, not even a drop of liquor was found on the property. And all of the eyewitnesses that night described the same creature. Two city policemen also claimed they saw up to three flying saucers the summer before, and they happened to look exactly like the one that Billy Ray had described. So some of the officers had already had a taste of alien activity, so it wasn't hard for them to believe the family's stories. The police chief on duty that day saw in their eyes that the family members truly believed that they had seen some sort of otherworldly creatures that night. And without a doubt, the family was terrorized by something that night, but the lack of evidence made many believe they were making the whole thing up. But at the time, the police believed the family members were telling the truth, and after the quick investigation, the two families returned to the farmhouse that same morning. As the police and military left the scene, the sun began to rise. They thought the creatures were gone, but again they spotted a few of the alien goblins out near the tree line. They must have hid from the police when they were in the area, and returned not long after they left. But luckily, the creatures retreated further into the woods, and the Suttons and Taylors never saw them again. Not long after the incident, the property began drawing a lot of attention. Everyone from around the area wanted to see where the famous alien goblin shootout took place. The quiet and peaceful farmhouse then became a busy tourist attraction. People would constantly stop by and knock on the door, asking to look around. It became such a burden that they later sold the property, and the farmhouse was later demolished. The only thing there now is a small trailer home between the woods. But this wasn't the last report or end of the goblins, and I'll be back with more stories right after this ad break. So the Kelly Hopkinsville incident wasn't the only encounter with goblins. The family stories at the farmhouse sent a panic through the rural heart of America, in fact. Not far from Kentucky, Brown Mountain in North Carolina soon became a hotspot of UFO sightings after the Hopkinsville-Kelly incident. Brown Mountain is a low-lying ridge that stretches about a mile and a half long in western North Carolina and mysterious lights have been spotted for decades. At first, people thought that these lights were something paranormal, and the earliest known sightings date back hundreds of years. But it wasn't until the goblins landed in Kentucky that people began thinking that these lights might be something from outer space. Later studies showed that the strange lights had to have been made by some form of electricity. Most skeptics think that the lights are just cars or ATVs or brush fires or trains. And these explanations ended a widespread public concern, but for the rest, they still weren't convinced. They would watch the ridge and see bright lights tear through the trees back and forth. 
The area was the perfect place for a hidden alien base, as it was secluded with low visibility. Also, a secret network of natural and ancient tunnels stretched out for miles underneath the ground, and it was commonly believed that the goblin aliens often lived in the underground caves and the abandoned mines. In the 1970s, the author Ralph Lale claimed that he had found mummified remains of a goblin-like creature in Brown Mountain. In the early 60s, Ralph became interested in the light orbs around. According to his story, one of these orbs led him deep inside the mountain, and the orb spoke to him telepathically and told him that it was a gas-based life form. As he followed the glowing light into the mountain tunnel, it led him to the mummified remains, and it told him to remove the body from the mountains. The mummy looked exactly like the Sutton and Taylor family's description of the goblins. It was a little over three feet tall with a large head and arms that stretched down to its ankles. And most people thought Ralph was full of shit, but he kept up his story. He also claimed that he had been visited and harassed by government agents ever since he found the mummified remains. But Ralph ended up dying in 1978 and the small shop he owned was bulldozed to the ground. Many believe that the goblin mummy remains were still inside. And as a result of this, they were now lost forever. Others think that whoever demolished the property might have stolen the remains right before. But again, there's too many unanswered questions that remain. In the end, many believe that the whole thing was a big hoax. They didn't find any evidence at all. And the main problem was Billy Ray. As Billy Ray was known for his active imagination and he was the only one who saw the spaceship land. Plus, even the other witnesses didn't seem to agree with Billy Ray after everything. As local journalists and UFO enthusiasts interviewed him, it seemed like he always added small details to his story or left some out. Each time he talked about that night, his story would change, and many believe that this is often the trait of a liar. But still, even if the spaceship was made up, how could he convince everyone at the farmhouse to make up an elaborate story of an alien attack for several hours at night, as there were 11 people in total at the house that night? So either they were telling the truth, or they were all convinced to make up a story about the goblin aliens together. And for many, this seems unlikely. But the public accused Billy Ray of trying to make money off a lie. The reality, though, is that he really never made money from it. People came to the property to set up souvenir stands and tour guides, but they were declined. But one thing's for sure. The incident left its mark in UFO history. People still talk about the case today and each have their own theories. One of the biggest theories is that the family witnessed an aggressive group of great horned owls. This seems reasonable because they're about the same height, and if you've ever seen that classic viral video of baby great horned owls, I believe, they honestly look like little aliens. Again, these owls don't glow green, and they don't have claws that reach down to their feet because their claws are on their feet, their talons. They don't have hands, so that doesn't really work for the description, but... It's possible. Plus, with all the shotgun blasts and rounds going off, there was no dead owls ever found around the property, so honestly, that kind of rules that theory out. And the witnesses vividly remember hearing a metallic ping every time they shot the creatures. Unless owls wear bulletproof armor now, I think that theory is questionable at best. Others have mentioned that it might have been a case of CIA mind control or a mental attack by Soviet forces. The main idea is that the witnesses were tampered with in some way. Perhaps they were secretly given drugs or manipulated with technology so they all collectively experienced the same hallucination together. Although it's pretty far-fetched, the 1950s was the decade when CIA mind control programs like the MKUltra began and Soviet paranoia was at an all-time high. So like usual, people point to secret government programs to explain the unexplainable. 
But even after all the theories that tried to debunk the incident, the Kentucky Goblin seemed to stick around, and they just resurfaced on a large scale just a few years ago. So that leads us to a mini-series on Prime Video called Hellier, which is a docuseries about four people, Greg and Dana Newkirk, Carl Pfeiffer, and Connor Randall, who go down the rabbit hole of paranormal events in Kentucky. These guys have been in the paranormal game since they were teenagers, and they often hunted for ghosts and cryptids. About seven years after retiring from the paranormal hunt, they got an email from a random stranger known as David on April 22nd, 2012. This single email would then open them up to a new hunt that would take them to a bunch of strange places. The man in the email said he had lived for the past six months on the border of West Virginia and Kentucky. He told the crew that his family was being harassed by strange creatures night after night. He had moved to the rural area for some peace and quiet, but he hadn't found any, and every night strange shit was happening on his property. He said he believed the creatures were goblins, but they were originally from outer space and now they lived inside the local mines and caves around town. They looked like small gray creatures with big ears and black oily eyes. His five-year-old daughter had once asked who the hairless children were, and that was when they knew something strange was going on. The creatures were completely hairless with wrinkly skin, and they didn't have many facial features besides their large oily eyes and lipless mouths. They would roam around his house at night and tap on the windows with their long fingernails terrorizing his kids. His back shed had been broken into several times and his kids' outdoor toys had been scattered around the yard. The intruders had even snatched his dog from the backyard, but when he contacted the local police, they refused to do anything about it. He found evidence of something prowling around his children's bedroom windows, but the police told him it was probably just a wild animal. Ever since, he knew that the police weren't going to help him with this, so he had to deal with the problem by himself. It wasn't until a few months had passed by that he finally saw the creature for himself. On March 7th, his other dog woke him up around 1.30 in the morning. His paw scratched at the back door, and he was whimpering to be let out. As David went towards the back door, he noticed the motion floodlight in his backyard was on. So he went over to the kitchen window to look out towards the shed. And across the lawn, he could see the shadow of a creature moving through his backyard. He couldn't tell exactly what it was. All he could see was its outline. He moved towards his back porch where it started rifling through a box. He saw his dog pacing back and forth near the door, and his only reaction was to bang against the back wall of the house to try to scare the creature off. He then heard a chirping noise in the backyard, and that's when he realized that there were actually two creatures back there, communicating with each other. Just beneath his kitchen window, he heard the chirping, and he noticed a small humanoid figure with pale skin standing in his flower bed. The creature was about four feet tall, and it called out to the other one with its strange chirping noise. Its mouth didn't move when it chirped, and it sounded like the noise came from its throat. David then knew that this wasn't just a wild animal like the police said, and it wasn't just a strange hairless child like his daughter thought. The creature then hopped over towards the other where he knows five of them in total. Then they fled into the dark woods. He wanted to head into a nearby abandoned mine with a shotgun, but he didn't want to go alone and none of his friends were willing to go with him. He told the paranormal crew that he wanted to remain anonymous, but he could guarantee them evidence if they decided to visit him. As they emailed back and forth, the man eventually told them he was at his wit's end. Eventually, him and his family actually moved out of the house and moved in with his wife's family out of state until they could figure out what was going on. After about a month, he and his brother-in-law returned to the house for the first time. The house seemed mostly untouched, which made him believe that the creatures only hung around when the family was there. 
The only thing he found was a trail of footprints that matched the size and shape of the footprints outside of his children's bedroom windows. They looked like human footprints, but with three large toes. Even though his brother-in-law was a hunter, he couldn't identify the tracks, as they weren't from any animal that he knew of. And when they followed the footprints, they led him into the woods behind his home. They met up with a small stream and then ran towards a nearby mine shaft, but he refused to go inside. The crew had never investigated any extraterrestrials or UFOs before, and this was the first time they ever agreed to hunt for space aliens. When the stranger sent over more of his evidence, all he had was a blurry photo of a strange-looking creature in the woods. It had a large, smooth head, pale skin, and narrow shoulders. They actually sent the image to the Department of Fish and Wildlife, but it's hard to make anything out. Looking at the photo, I'm not really sure what that is. It looks like something humanoid-like-esque. I don't know. Very weird, though. Bizarre looking photo. So the crew eventually went out to Hellier, Kentucky to investigate. And after investigating, they began to realize that this paranormal phenomenon was eerily similar to the Hopkinsville goblins back in the 1950s. And just the entire town of Hellier gave off a creepy vibe, like they had stepped out of the normal world and into a realm sealed off from reality. Many of the locals claimed to have seen the strange creatures lurking around town. So many believe that these goblins had infested the town, and the crew became more and more convinced that there might be some truth to that story. Their investigation led them to the mines and caves around Kentucky, but the more they dug into the history of the stranger that first contacted them, the more lost they became. He was supposedly a doctor named David, but when they asked around town, no one had ever heard about him, and no records of him ever existed. Although the investigation of the Kentucky goblins came to a dead end, their search for the paranormal opened up to several other strange pathways after meeting several more people along the way. All along the Appalachian mountain chain, people saw and experienced the same way. Apparently, strange creatures have wandered around these areas for hundreds of years, but no one can identify what the creatures were. The investigators' search led them to the Mammoth Cave System, the longest cave system in the world. It's an enormous labyrinth that was formed by limestone erosion, and the cave stretched for nearly 420 miles. And with all these places to crawl and tight squeezes, it's no wonder why locals thought the creatures could make a home there. 130 wildlife species live inside, possibly 131 if the goblins live here too. But in the end, their search for the goblins seemed to come to a dead end, and they never found David. And proof of the creatures was almost impossible to uncover. As for the goblins, we might never get a clear answer. But to this day, people around Kentucky still claim to see the small, pale creatures wandering around the edges of town. They chirp to each other out in the darkness of the woods before running back to their shelters, hidden somewhere in the dark trenches of the earth. From Kelly to Brown Mountain to Hellier, the legend of the alien goblins lives on. Their early stories were so incredible that they even inspired director Steven Spielberg's first draft of the classic movie E.T., which was actually supposed to be about the Hopkinsville-Kelly incident. And even today, it's still known as one of the most significant alien encounters in the U.S. But so many questions still remain. What did they want? Where did they come from? Why did they choose Christian County, Kentucky of all places? And are they still here, roaming the dark caves and abandoned mine shafts of the southeastern United States? So what a story. I mean, it's one of those that... You either take their word for it or you don't. I mean, there's minimal evidence. There's a few very grainy, we don't even know our legitimate photographs, but it's like, is it possible that there's some type of 
alien species that happens to look like a goblin. I mean, based on the different descriptions, seems like somewhere between goblins as we know them from fantasy lore and little gray aliens mixed, and that's what you've got. But it could just be descriptions of gray aliens. It's really hard to say. Is it possible that they landed here? Is it possible that they're just a species of cryptid that just happened to live in the caves and mine shafts, or maybe they're some type of alien that was exposed to radioactivity? I don't know. It's interesting, though. I mean, I always wonder what's hiding and living in these cave systems that run hundreds of miles long. Sometimes I think, hmm, is it possible that there's government experiments that have gone wrong where they're trying to create hybrid species or crossing perhaps a recovered alien with some other type of creature. It's one of those stories, though, where you do have to be skeptical because, again, at the end of the day, Billy Ray doesn't seem like the most reliable guy, and there is really no hard, concrete evidence to support any of his story. Again, is it possible that they saw orbs or unidentified lights in the sky? Yes, a lot of people see unidentified shit in the sky, but that doesn't mean that it's from outer space. And a lot of these descriptions of these goblins seem to me like they could be owls. Like they could be, I mean, owls are creepy. I was just out the other night with my dogs and this big, just black figure with wings landed on a street light not far from me. And this thing must have been, I mean, at least two feet tall, maybe even a little bit taller. It was huge. And I could tell it was an owl because of how it sat and how it was shaped. And it just sat there watching me and my dogs. And I was out with my two little dogs. So, of course, I was like, oh, God, is he trying to hunt my two little dogs? But owls honestly have this sort of alien-esque look to them. And in the dark, I mean, their their eyes can glow with the moonlight and stuff. I mean, it's very possible that in this area of the United States that what they were seeing was, in fact, some species of owl. Very, very possible. But then again, they kept saying humanoid creature and it had claws and things like that. I mean, that to me is not really fitting with a description of an owl, but maybe there is some other type of hybrid creature, cryptid that hides in these tunnels. I mean, who really knows at the end of the day? It's always possible too that there's some unidentified species that lives in these cave systems that we catch glimpses of and that's about it. And that they are somewhat intelligent, so they're able to evade human capture. I mean, the bullet thing is what gets me is, you know, they're shooting shotgun shells at these things and it had no effect on them. So I don't know. It, it's a very, very interesting story. And the idea of, of little goblins running around is very creepy. I mean, would you go cave exploring? Sometimes I'm like, people that do that are super brave because you never know what you're going to meet down there. I mean, I know in some of these cave systems in Kentucky, there's even people that live in those cave systems. I'd be interested to ask them about the Kentucky goblins. There is a uh, show on discovery i think it is or national geographic uh, about people who live off the grid and there's a guy that lives in the cave systems i want to say in arkansas and he lives like deep deep underground and sometimes i wonder if he's ever seen something like this he'd be the guy to ask right very interesting story though is it possible that aliens landed and they happen to just be this sort of goblin like species and i mean et even god et what a weird movie that was when I first watched it as a kid, Joel, I mean, he was scared of E.T. for a long time. He would have nightmares and just, it was never not a fun movie for him. Another possibility too is that this was some type of mind control program. The CIA was doing sketchy shit. I mean, they were doing, in South America, they were doing 
fake alien abductions there. So it's possible that this could have been some type of experiment by CIA uh, officials. I mean, who really knows? Or it could just be mass paranoia. Billy Ray could have just incited all this paranoia and made this whole thing up. But I want to know what your thoughts are on this story on the Kentucky Goblins. And if you live in Kentucky, have you ever heard about the Kentucky Goblins? Is this something that is pretty well known out there? I'm not sure. I haven't been to Kentucky uh, before, I don't think. So I'm interested to hear uh, all you fellow Kentuckians out there, what you think of the Kentucky Goblins. Do you think it's real? Have you seen these little hairless, pale creatures before? Let me know in the comments on YouTube if you're watching. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, make sure you're following and subscribed. And I will see you guys next week with another episode of Lights Out. Thank you so much for all the support and thank you for all the kind comments on the last episode about Joel and everything. I just want to let you know all is good. You know, we're brothers first and foremost, and that will never change. And it's all love there. I am supportive of him and hit what he needs to do with his life. And he is supportive of what I need to do with mine. And that's all you can ask for at the end of the day. So he's doing well. I'm doing well. You know, I'm not sure what, what the future looks like for lights out right now, but for the time being, it'll just be me. And hopefully you're good with that. I'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Thank you again for joining for another episode of Lights Out. And until next time, Lights Out, everybody. <laughs>